Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to Women on the Line, a national feminist current affairs program produced by women and gender non-conforming people at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne, on Wurundjeri country of the Kulin Nations, and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. I'm Iris Lee. On this episode of Women on the Line, we hear from a range of non-binary people and women panellists at the Reclaiming Pride discussion held by the collective Feminist Insurgency on 17th of May, 2019, held on International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia, Intersexism and Transphobia, also known as Ida Hobbit. Pride for LGBTIQ people has its origins in radical social movements in the 1960s to 1970s, protesting the criminalization and oppression of queer, trans and intersex lives, calling for a radical and new society. Trans women of colour, sex workers, homeless, queers, led rebellion, including at the most well-known at Stonewall in 1969. In so-called Australia in 1978, we saw a march by the Gay Solidarity Group in Sydney to commemorate the Stonewall riots brutally attacked by police, with 53 people arrested. This was the first Mardi Gras. Fast forward to today and corporations and police participate in Pride marches across the world, but not without contestation. Pride marches in Melbourne and Sydney are invariably disrupted most years in protest to reclaim Pride's radical spirit. This year in Auckland, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, an activist group, People Against Prisons Aotearoa, along with broader community, successfully pressured the Pride Committee to ask no police march in uniform. They won on the basis of pointing out the racist, colonial violence enacted by police on Indigenous people that is similarly present in Australia. I was invited to facilitate the conversation with four insightful gender non-conforming and women panellists. I note that you will be hearing excerpts of a discussion that went for over an hour. We hear first from Yiga, Gundajamara, Bindal, Yoda Yoda person, Tanin Onis Williams, writer and organiser for Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance. They speak on prison abolition and decolonisation. Prison abolitionists believe prisons destroy communities, amplify violence and oppression, and work to create a world without prisons, where justice is transformative, not punitive. Um, I'm wondering if anyone on the panel could speak to um, decolonization in queer circles and struggles for prison abolition. So I've have been having a few feelings about prison abolition and especially like white queers in the prison abolitionist space because I feel like it's kind of like becoming like quite quickly the like people have jumped from white feminism and are now jumping to like prison abolition as a thing so like oh feminism's ruined so now I'm going to jump over to prison abolition and then I think it's just like one thing that's been quite frustrating is seeing that like, people are just thinking, oh, it's all about capitalism, but it's like, no, it's actually about colonialism. And if we're not, and if, I mean, I'm going to, like, bang on about it all the time, but if, like, 
Like, if we aren't going to get rid of settler colonialism, then we cannot have abolition and abolition of prisons. And that means that we can't get rid of racism, homophobia, transphobia, um, etc. And I think that, like, these movements are, like, I guess, I mean, the movements here have always been happening. And I think in particular, there's been, like, white people thinking that they have brought abolition to Australia when you had, like, Wurundjeri people burning down prisons in, like, 18, in the 1800s, you know? And I think that we are raised so much in the abolition movement, and um, it's just really frustrating that people think that it's, like, a new thing as well. Like, it's not a new thing for us, and, like, Aboriginal people are inherently abolitionist uh, because, like, we didn't have prisons here pre-colonisation. Like, we didn't have corporations pre-colonisation. Like, all of the things that are existing and, like, whether that be racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, um, like, that just was not, like, a thing here. And... I think that so often we move outside of like looking at Aboriginal people to, for um, for guidance here, and like and that it further participates in the erasure of us, and like it's just I don't know I guess it's just one thing that's really been like grinding my gear um, because of that, and yeah I guess. It's just, like, people just need to keep doing, like, more work and not depending on the state. And it's also, like, not concentrating on prisons and decentralising the prison and concentrating on building communities and getting to know our neighbours so they won't call the police on us. Um, getting to know, like, people in our street, local cafes. Like, these are things that, like, can decentralise the state by getting to know people like it's really like it sounds like such a silly thing but honestly we used to throw house parties all the time at our at the house in Fitzroy and the only reason why the police never got called was because the, the neighbours knew us and that meant that like no black people were getting arrested no queers and trans folk were getting arrested because it completely decentralised the state and put our like responsibility back into community to look after each other and I think that that's one thing is that we like need to continue to do is just not centralise the prison in abolition spaces. It's about decentralising it. And my next question goes to what sort of organising or work that this sort of picks up with a lot of things that have been mentioned already. What organising work, organising such work you're doing, not doesn't doesn't have to be around pride in terms of these pride marches or anything like that. Um, that is important in building a collective, collective pride for the communities you're a part of. Jane Green, sex worker rights activist with Fixing Collective. Yeah, I'll actually talk about organising around pride, because um, every year about November, start of December, I get the same feeling, which is, oh, God, no. Um, because we actually do a community consultation every year about whether or not we should be involved in pride. Um, and that's a really important process for us because I think it is something that we need to assess collectively as to whether or not we have continued participation. Um, 
and we have a really strong and robust debate within community each year and weigh pros and cons. Um, and it's very close, the decision, um, the last two or three years has been very close. Um, and I think that's important that it goes to community to make that decision. I wouldn't feel comfortable trying to make that decision or within Vixen's committee trying to make that decision on behalf of community. I think it has to go to community to have that discussion. Um, I think the, uh, the pros, um, I mean, in terms of interacting with other organisations, um, there are people in that space that we do want to interact with. Um, and it is nice to be in that space sometimes. There are organisations that we absolutely don't want to interact with. Um, so those, for example. <laughs> um, I certainly know the last time we marched in Pride um, that we weren't as thrilled to see the Victorian Greens um, as we might have been. Um, actually, no, we haven't been pleased to see the Victorian Greens for many years. Um, so I think everyone knows why. Um, so. But I mean, look, it can also be a space to challenge organisations that are problematic. Um, but also it's a lot of work for an organisation um, that's unfunded and makes it remains unfunded. So there's a lot of things that we have to weigh up and we have to weigh those things up as a community together. Um, but it's also something that takes time away from our other work, which is really important too. So it's a difficult decision for us and it's a decision we have to make together every year. Laura McLean, union organizer, queer anti-fascist, and transgender radgery woman. Cool. Um, I haven't really done any organizing work within official pride <laughs> um, stuff, but I am a workplace organizer. So, <laughs> um, yeah, um, I guess one of the things at the moment that I find really important um, is sort of um, re-radicalizing pride amongst my generation and generations younger than mine. Um, I One of the workplaces that I organize is um, one of the NAB head offices. I used to work there. Um, they have a pride network um, which has pretty much stopped doing anything after the marriage equality campaign. Um, however, there are a bunch of, um, of members of that network who are mostly trans people of colour um, who are involved in that, who feel really disheartened because there is so much more work that needs doing and they don't quite understand how or what it is that needs doing. Um, and I think it's really important that we make sure that we have um, inclusive avenues and stuff um, as activists, um, because a lot of the time activism can be, um, trying to get into activist networks and stuff can be quite intimidating. There's a lot of like, um, like classism around it. There's a lot of like big words and shit that, you know, I don't really understand. And, you know, when I first started trying to get involved in activism and stuff, I, yeah, it just felt very exclusionary. Um, so I think it's like really important that um, we make ourselves as activists accessible to the broader community and that we start organizing, um, reorganizing our groups and re-radicalizing our communities, um, re-radicalizing queer finance workers, especially queer finance uh, workers who are people of colour, um, who have felt really let down by their organisation because, you know, they've just stopped giving a shit because marriage equality's won. It's no longer marketable for NAB to address issues affecting trans people, issues affecting queer people of colour. It's not marketable, it's not profitable for them to do that. 
Um, so I've started creating new um, networks and re-radicalizing them and then tying it in as well with the um, anti-fascist um, organizing work that I do because I think that is really important. There is a growing fascist movement in this country. Um, that movement that comes after queer people, it comes after people of colour predominantly, um, first and foremost. And I think a lot of my generation of um, queer people and the younger generation don't quite understand that. I don't think they understand the threat of that, but also don't think that they understand that they have real legitimate power when they work together. But it's about making all of that accessible and in language and stuff that people don't feel intimidated to start partaking in. But I think when we talk about organising work and we talk about activism, I think it's really important that we make activism accessible for everyone, because at the moment I don't feel like it quite is. Across these stolen lands now called Australia, you've been listening to Women on the Line, highlighting a range of gender non-conforming and women voices, broadcast on the Community Radio Network. Let's now hear from Miriam Khalil, contemporary artist, on activism and accessibility. Um, when you speak about activism, a lot of the time people of colour can't get involved because a lot of the time police get involved and a lot of the time we're the ones that get harassed. Yeah. Um, so I don't think activism can ever be truly, a, a, like, what's the word that you just said? Accessible. Accessible to everyone. Um, I just don't think that and you you can work hard and you can get to a place but sadly the hard truth is that's impossible yeah, yeah. I, I feel like oh sorry i was just gonna jump jump on the same point yeah, yeah look we struggle with some issues around that with sex work too because um sex workers for people of color particularly migrant sex workers um, and sex workers working in criminalized environments so street-based workers here in victoria it's a real struggle, um, and the people most at risk, um, particularly for um, speaking out and activism, um, for attending any protests or any events, um, it's it's a real issue, um, and they're often the people whose voices most need to be heard. Um, so it's a constant tension that the people who most need to be heard from are the most at risk, and we can't ask them to put themselves at risk. Um, so yeah, it's it's difficult. Um, and I think it, the one thing you can't do is claim that you can make spaces safe for people because I think you're putting them in danger if you claim that. So I think we have to be brutally honest um, with people about what we can do and what we can't. Yeah, I think like, one thing, I guess, for Mob is that we just don't have, like, the time. Like, we are just, like so busy like many other people just like trying to survive and there's just like there's so many mob that do activism in different ways and resistance in different ways and like, i think that like i think it's also about like looking at activism like it's not just about like doing things in the public and protesting like that's not the only way of activism and like activism can be like Half of black people learning their language, like that is an act of resistance because of the, the colonizer um, is trying to assimilate us. And so I think that, like, what we view as activism is also flawed. So I think it's like, also like, like it's real. Like, not everybody can do like protesting or campaigning or whatever. But also like, 
there's different ways to resist and like I think that that should also be taken into account. You said something that's really critically relevant um, to sex work community as well. Um, activism is a whole bunch of different things. Um, we often say the most important um, work that we do is the work that we ever sees. Um, the peer support that workers provide each other um, in their workplaces and in private spaces, um, the, particularly for workers in criminalised settings um, and for the workers that are most marginalised, um, the, all of the stuff we do that people never see, um, it's not the stuff in public. Um, and I often feel that as someone that does do a lot of public activism, a lot of the stuff that I'm doing is the least important stuff, but it's the most highly recognises, recognised stuff, um, but it's fluff. Um, the critical stuff is the, the workers that I work with who are there when someone calls them at two in the morning because they're in crisis, yeah. um, and they're the person who picks up the phone. Um, they're the people that turn up and go to the cops with someone when they're being interviewed as a witness or being charged. Um, it's that stuff. That's the stuff that keeps people alive and makes a difference. And people often never hear about it and never see it. Um, and that's activism. Yeah. Thank you, Jane. That was great. That's so true. And like, it just happens all the time for mob. It's just like, you're just so busy, like trying to, like it's actually so real because you're actually trying, busy trying to literally save people's lives, um, whether they be using drugs or like, um, whether they're like, like in using drugs in like a way that's like misuse, I guess, whatever. Um, and then there's like also people who like whose mental health, like looking after your community, is so hard, and that is like definitely all the things that happen in the background that like I'm not doing in the public. Like it's all the time, like it's just constant. But I guess as well, like talking about work as well, that's thinking my point earlier was that like I have I haven't done anything like in terms of pride but like all of the war members here in Melbourne are queer and so I think that um, like literally every single one of them um, and I think that like with like the, like these movements it's just and like I guess with what war is doing is that it's like always queer inherently because we're doing the work and like lots of the people who we're organizing with lots of the people who we have speaking at our rallies and that we include and like do work with are all queer black people and like that is like completely different in terms of like one of the people who i really looked up to um crystal mckinnon she was like oh um like there wasn't that many queer black people now, but I'm like, all the black people that I'm friends with are all gay. And I'm just like, how did you do move? Like, how, like, it's just a com completely different. Um, and it, I guess that's like one thing that I love is like, do not just like being friends with, but working alongside with um, black queers. And like, that is definitely one of the things that brings me the most joy is like, like that we can do that together. Women's on the line. <laughs> oh, that was women on the line. Women on the line. <laughs> <laughs>
and I'm, I'm saying this broadly because I'm not indigenous to this country, it's not rooted in homophobia, transphobia, intersexuality phobia. I'm intersex, I don't even know what that's called. <laughs> Basically everyone, that's what it's called. Um, it's not rooted in that. It's, it's rooted in love and peace and acceptance. And a lot of my indigenous friends are queer, like you were saying before. It's uh, going back into decolonization, I feel like that is a huge form of pride. That is one of the biggest because so much of this has come like has come through because of colonization, because of white people, basically. White people's are, people are the ones that bought homophobia, they bought transphobia. Look at look, like people of color like us, so many of us have so many different cultures that like that like revel in concepts of queerness and concepts of transness and concepts of intersexuality. Like in some cultures, I'm considered some kind of god and deity because of the fact that I'm intersex. Um, but you know what all of those don't have in common? None of them are white. <laughs> because that's what queerness, like, that's what is oppressive to queerness. That's what's oppressive to, like, pride. And I know it might sound harsh, but that's what it is. It's the white colonizers, it's the Dutch, it's, it's the Spanish. It's white supremacy. Destroy white supremacy. I saw someone up there with one of those shirts. It's exactly what it is. So as a person of color, doing what I can to survive here, re like talking to you right now or like talking to others, even if it's just someone on the tram, I feel like that's just, even though I might not be taken seriously a lot of the time, just being able to talk about it and educate people no matter where I am in the world, that is something that I consider a big part of pride, just for myself. Um, speaking like within hidden prides, like a lot of what I do is based on the fact that I can speak multiple languages and I speak Arabic, so I go to refugee centers and I speak to family there, or not my family, but I consider everyone who is POC, to be my family. Um, I speak to family there. Um, I speak I, I speak to like people in the streets and I'm able to do that in multiple languages and that helps get rid of some of the deep-rooted stereotypes and ideals of like the stigma behind queerness, behind transness. Because when you see someone who speaks your language, someone who grew up in your culture, and they're talking about all these things that you're taught was bad through white colonialism, mind you, then you begin to understand it through a different light. Yeah, thanks for all that. Our last um, point of view sort of speakers to talk to. What future do you want for Pride? What solidarity do you want to see? A future for Pride? Um, well, it shouldn't be a party, it shouldn't be a celebration, it should still be a protest. Um, and if they're organising it, they should get the most marginalised members of the community to head it up. We should decide what the key issues are we want to address, and we should be marching at the front highlighting those issues. Um, I'd be very tempted to ban corporate sponsors. And there'd have to be due, due diligence so that like you couldn't have any rat bag organisations marching with you. 
Um, it might be a small protest. <laughs> but it would be excellent. Um, mostly what Jane said, because <laughs> that all sounds great. But yeah, definitely bringing it back to a protest and um, centering the voices of um, Aboriginal people in that and people of colour, because um, that's the most important. Solidarity, I'd like to see. Is that one of the questions? Yeah, what's solidarity, I would like to see um, in achieving this. I'd like to see um, more participation from the trade union movement that the We Are Union Pride um, <laughs> network at Victorian Trades Hall Council may not be receiving um, funding, so that may be dis disbanded, um, which I heard recently, which I find very disheartening because um, it is really important work, um, you know, in engaging um, the union movement in queer politics and um, vice versa is very important and engaging um, young queer people in unionism is very important. There's this misconception that unionism is somewhat inherently um, anti-queer. Um, inherently the concept of unionism is not. Yeah, so I don't know, I'd like to see uh, a bit more work put in from the broader trade union movement um, into helping achieve this utopia future pride that we want. And I think that, like, also just, like, being more inclusive that, like, pop queers exist and we don't just, like, it's not just about whiteness because we get buried so much in it. And, like, pop and black queers are excluded from communities because of their popness and their blackness. And so, like, really standing together and, like, highlighting that. Like, when people wanted to put the black and the brown strip on the flag, like it shouldn't be because we exist um, at, like in that community and the whole reason was so that like we could be seen. So I think that seeing more of that pride, seeing less corporations, let's make, let's make it smaller, you know? Smaller like, is funner anyway. Exactly. It's quality over quantity. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's definitely, yeah, definitely what I'd want to see. And also in cops. That's exactly <laughs> what I was about to say. No cops. <laughs>
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.